Good Monday to you, everybody. It is me, Connor, and we're doing the uh, Monday Film News Dump. I guess I'm just going to change the name of this show based on what day of the week it is that I decided to release it. Uh, we're doing Monday because if you were listening to the previous episode, uh, our review of Reminiscence, you would have heard that we put out Reminiscence on Thursday so we could get out to you sooner since it's a new release and it has a limited run on streaming um, in case you don't want to go to the theaters. Which, as we'll explain in this episode, may not be a misplaced measure of caution. So, um, we're doing the film news dump today, Monday. The well, it's Labor Day actually. <laughs> um, so here I am working on Labor Day for you, everybody, for you, just for you, not for me at all. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna do the film news dump today, and then the next episode you hear will be on Thursday. It'll be Dustin and I talking about. Ah, I'll tease it. We're gonna talk about a modern day classic and a film that will go down in film history is one of the greatest films ooh, film trilogies ever made talking about that on thursday it's gonna be great and we got an announcement at the end of that as well regarding our little hiatus there for now got the film news dump we'll get right into it this is in case you forgot what this show is supposed to be about uh principally this is where i break down a few film news stories and i'm going to leave you with some thoughts uh Usually before the weekend, but now it's for your week. You already had a long weekend. You had plenty of time to not think about shit. Now I want you to think about movie stuff. The big story, the first story here is the story from Variety, uh, released on September 1st by Rebecca Rubin. Paramount pushing back the theater dates for Mission Impossible 7, Top Gun Maverick, uh, some other films as well, um, Jackass Forever. Um, So yeah, it has pushed back... Uh, those films, Top Gun was supposed to come out on November 19th of this year, and they've pushed it back to May 27th of 2022. Mission Impossible 7 was supposed to come out at the end of this month on the 30th, and now it's going back to, sorry, it it was supposed to, <laughs> no, it was supposed to come out in May of 2022, and now it's being pushed back to September 30th of 2022. So it's going to be over a year before we see Mission Impossible 7. And then Jackass Forever got pushed back from October 22nd of this year all the way back to February 4th of next year. So, um, of course, it's uh, because of the Delta variant and the uh, the COVID-19 case counts throughout the United States uh, and the world, but um, mostly the United States has, um, have, have remained um, a factor. This article says uh, that has resulted in a significant decline in consumer confidence in returning to the movies, you think? According to the research conducted by NRG, 67% of moviegoers say they are very or somewhat comfortable visiting their local theater, which is down 11 points from July. Among family audiences, 58% of parents say they are very or somewhat comfortable taking their kids to the movies, which is down five points from last week and marks the lowest point since April. Um... So, of course, that's going to make it hard to for the films to turn a profit uh, in theaters, uh, especially internationally. Uh, the next story I have here, this is coming after Denis Villeneuve expressed how critical he feels the movie theater experience is. This is from the AV Club. This, was, uh, this article came out in um, mid-August. But uh, this is by Matt Skim, uh, Skimkowitz. It says, if the box office is good, Denis Villeneuve says Dune fans can have a sequel as a treat. Oh, that's nice. That's nice of you, Denis Villeneuve. So he's doing the film for Warner Brothers. It's going to have a simultaneous release on HBO Max uh, for 30 days with its theater run. He was not happy about that. Warner Media said too bad. 
he says there's no such thing as Dune 1 and Dune 2. It's Dune Part 1 and Dune Part 2. The director seems to imply that we won't be getting the complex, this, the complete experience if there's no Part 2. He's optimistic, but it's not a sure thing. Uh, he said, so the first thing was to prove that there was a beautiful, popular movie that can exist. And I think I proved that. Everybody at Warner Brothers and Legendary, they are 100% behind the project. They feel that it would need a really bad outcome at the box office to not have a Dune Part 2 because they love the movie, they're proud of the movie, so they want the movie to move forward, and they still did half of it. So, of course, he says again, um, first of all, the enemy of cinema is the pandemic. That's the thing. We understand that the cinema industry is under tremendous pressure right now. That I get. Still, they say the director is not happy with the decision to dump these movies on a broken app for puny TV sets, so says the writer. Quote, frankly, to watch Dune on a television, the best way I can compare it is to drive a speedboat in your bathtub. For me, it's ridiculous. It's a movie that has been made as a tribute to the big screen experience. Stuff like this pisses me off. First of all, where does Denis Villeneuve watch films other than the theater? Does he not have a television? And these other directors, you know, Chris Nolan... The, the, the quick, you know, the quick snarky answer is, oh, he probably has a movie theater in his house. Okay, maybe he does, you know. And if if you only watch anything you watch, YouTube, films, football, if you watch all that on a private movie theater on your property or a, a building you own, I will allow you to complain about missing out on the theater experience. Because then I believe you really give a shit about it. So much so that you don't own a normal TV. You've never watched a video on your phone. You know, fine. Okay? But for me, I'm really getting fucking tired of hearing about the big screen experience. Like, I've had it. I've really had it. And yes, I've I've only been to the movie theaters as recently as as Avengers Endgame. Okay, so what was that? A year and a half ago? No, <laughs> two and a half years ago? Spider-Man maybe? Yes, fine. Connor hasn't been to the films in a couple in, in, into the films. Connor hasn't been to the films. I haven't been to the movies in a couple of years. You wanna know why? You wanna take a guess? I can't fucking afford it. It's cost prohibitive for many people to go to the movies on a regular basis, okay? Here's the thing. People like Denis Villeneuve, and many, many like him, many who are unlike him, but people who share this opinion seem to project that they want people to see more movies in theaters. It's like, hey, we want you to go see movies in the theaters, okay? Um, And we want you to see more of movies in theaters because lots of movies deserve your support and our support. And really, a lot of movies just deserve to be seen and be, you know, just be consumed by audiences. But in the theaters, you know, it's got to be in the theater. So it's hard to not be cynical and look at this and go, you just want my money. You just want my fucking money. That's what you want. You don't give a shit about, you know, the purity of the big screen experience. You just want me to spend the most amount of money as soon as the movie releases so that you can make the studio money and you can, you know, fulfill your obligation to them and to your own paycheck so that you can keep making movies for this studio so that they'll keep hiring you. You don't give a fuck about my safety. You just want me to come see Dune in the theaters so that I can spend the maximum amount of money that is required to spend to see this film. But you want people to see movies other than Dune. You want people to see every little indie film that comes out in a theater that's remotely close by to my house or my city, my region for that matter. It costs $20 for a ticket 
and food and a bunch of other shit. I got to get a babysitter. So you want people to see more movies in theaters than just tent poles, but it's cost prohibitive for a lot of people to do that, especially now people lost their fucking jobs. So what am I supposed to do? You want me to skip the Marvel films? The only movies I look forward to seeing in theaters? Spend my grocery money on fucking movies? Do you understand why this upsets me? Because I really fucking resent the assumption that the average person can go see movies whenever they feel like seeing movies in the theaters. There aren't as many people as you think that have that much disposable income, especially if they have kids. And I'm sure you all know plenty of people with children, maybe many children. It's like, blah, 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 so-and-so can go see movies whenever they want. At a certain point, it's not even about money. Time. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time, you know, unless the couple goes together or the person, you know. For, for me, it's cost prohibitive. And I feel like I represent a fairly realistic segment of the population there when I say that I can't go to the movies without inconveniencing somebody else. That person being my wife, who does not care about going to see movies and theaters. And frankly, I don't blame her. So when Denis Villeneuve goes on a jag like this, and he's like, oh, you know, hey, if you don't come see Dune in theaters, you know, maybe they won't make Dune 2. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that suck? Not really. I'd move on with my life. People haven't even seen the film yet. So first of all, they wouldn't know what they'd be missing. And second of all, to dangle that in front of people, like, please come see the movie so that they'll make another one. That's between you and Warner Brothers. If you and the producers couldn't negotiate them to pick up at least two films, that's on you. Explain to me how Peter Jackson pulled it off and got, got New Line to agree to three films, sight unseen, and you can't make get Warner Brothers to make two Dune films. Let's keep that in mind. Oh, it may not make as much money. You know, that's, that's not my problem. That's a problem with this, the business model. That's the studio's problem. We have to change the way we measure the success of films because this hybrid model is not going away. And to pretend that it will, like a lot of studios are doing right now, is just stupid and juvenile and sad to me. Okay? Speaking of this, there's an article. This is the main thing here today. On Digital Trends by Rick Marshall, it's called, When Movie Studios Tell You to Risk Your Life for Films, Everyone Loses. So I want to read you a little preamble here and go through this, because this is important. Fired up now. Quote, the world experienced a reckoning of sorts over the past 18 months due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And if there's a silver lining to be found in this tragedy, it's the spotlight the virus has shown on systems that can be and should already have been changed for the better. For movie fans and film journalists, one of those changes took the form of increased streaming availability of films, which offered general audiences an alternative to crowded theaters and gave press and critics the opportunity to do their jobs without endangering themselves or their loved ones. In recent months, however, many studios have suddenly begun to restrict streaming access to their films, pushing fans, journalists, and critics back into theaters amid another deadly COVID surge. And sadly, it's a decision that sets Hollywood back at a time that the conversation around movies has a unique opportunity to take a big step forward, okay? He starts by going into the the status quo of how film journalism tends to work, the relationship between the studios and journalists, mainly it's interdependent. You need all that journalistic buzz to get people to come see the film, and the outlets need content to buzz about to provide them content that they can give to their audience, all right? 
So that's how it worked. And then it changed when COVID came along. So here's a little section here. Um, so Hollywood was upended by the pandemic, like a lot of business models, but but for sure. Um, the pandemic also changed the way studios interacted with the press. No longer avail- able to host press screenings due to theater closure, studios began making films available to stream for journalists and critics and later made the option available to general audiences as the lockdown persisted. And this was after studios sort of implied that any movie that streams isn't really a film. You know, they tried to block Roma from awards nominations and now it's like everything streams. Whoopsie. There goes that argument. Womp womp. Um, so then, um, so it talks more about, so he goes into more from the critics perspective, which I don't care as much about. It's, it's a big issue, but that's not my fight. The idea that they were only screening movies where, where people could afford to live um, and in certain cities and it was prohibitive to disabled critics and stuff and how streaming made it available to everybody. And that showing a movie outside the theater doesn't hurt it. This, uh, deputy director of IO9, Jill Pentosi, who is, who's in a wheelchair was writing a guest column for variety, um, talking about the studio's suggestion that seeing films outside of theater negatively influences journalists and critics' opinions of them. She says, believe me, I would prefer to see a film in a theater setting too, but no one who needs this accommodation is going to ding your project on sound or cinematography because they watched it in their living room. And that's that's mainly what I get to. Do you think that people don't know what's, what's good and what they like? Like, I know there's another side of this argument and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to play devil's advocate here. This is, this is, this is my point of view. Okay. I think that a lot of filmmakers think that the general audience is stupid. I really believe that. And if they don't think we're stupid, they think that we um, are artistically bankrupt. And that they need to expose us to the best. Like, you don't understand. You're not getting the full experience. You're not getting it, it. You know, yes, you like it, but you don't know why you like it. And and you would love it more if you had heard it in 5.1 or seen it in 8K projection. Like, bro, I either like the movie or I don't. And and honestly, like the more conditions you put around whether or not a film is good, the less I'm convinced your film is good. So this person said, okay, as it stands now, Walt Disney Pictures appear to be joining Paramount Pictures, Universal Pictures, and other studios in telling critics and journalists they'll need to risk exposing themselves to COVID in order to provide readers with coverage of their films. Obviously, minus Paramount at this point with all these date releases. This was written before that. Despite a recent surge in the ongoing pandemic that has filled hospitals around the nation, Disney recently declined to make Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings available to press and critics with Shang-Chi, which is has been released at this point uh, outside of a few crowded theatrical screenings and densely populated areas of the country that put the Marvel movie in the company of recent films like F nine snake eyes and a quiet place part two, which all debuted in theaters without a streaming option for critics, journalists, or worldwide audiences. Currently Shang-Chi has the same release model as a quiet place part two. It's going out in theaters, but then 45 days later, it's going to be available on that studio streaming service. It was Paramount plus for quiet place. And it's going to be Disney plus for Shang-Chi. Um, although Universal and Paramount shied away from providing digital screeners of their biggest films to the press and critics throughout much of the pandemic, the Shang-Chi decision is a shift in policy for Disney, which initially made Black Widow, Jungle Cruise, and other films like Corilla, uh, accessible digitally to critics and press initially, then to its streaming service subscribers. Um, when asked whether the theater, the theater only restriction 
will be the studio's policy for press and critics going forward. Disney representatives declined to respond. Uh, Disney's decision also seems to contradict its own assertion about the dangers posed by the pandemic in recent in a response to a lawsuit filed by Black Widow star Scarlett Johansson against the studio that alleged that the decision to release the film digitally robbed her of potential profits from its theatrical release. Disney called the actress's decision, quote, especially sad and distressing in this callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. But... (laughs) But here you are telling people that the only place to see the movies is in the theaters again. So the last, you know, here's another little section here. Streaming services turned studios like Netflix and Amazon Studios have seen their profiles rise during the pandemic thanks to their longstanding digital screener system and distribution models, which eliminated many of the growing pains traditional studios have contended with during lockdown. Um, Warner Brothers was one of the few traditional studios who did the thing with the same the day and date release model. Ultimately, making films available digitally to critics and press appears to have little impact on their commercial or critical performance, but, but, quote, that hasn't stopped studios from insisting on a return to the less accessible, less diverse, and in the midst of a deadly pandemic, more dangerous way of doing things. So the conclusion, um, at a time when Hollywood is hoping to make itself appear more attuned to the need for diversity and inclusion in cinema studios sudden pivot back to a more restricted relationship with journalists, critics, and audiences stands in stark contrast to the image that the industry is trying to present. The many of those same critics, journalists, and audience members have children too young to be vaccinated yet or immunocompromised family members or high risk factors themselves makes the theater only restriction even more tone deaf amid the rising COVID threat. The long-term effects of streaming availability on the business of making movies remain uncertain at this point, but Hollywood will likely need to make some tough decisions about its revenue model in the years to come as streaming services stake out a bigger claim on audiences' attention and wallets. What the last 18 months have undeniably proven, however, is that the movie studios are more than capable of creating a more inclusive, diverse, and safe environment for journalists and critics within Hollywood's existing framework, even outside of a pandemic environment when they choose to do so. So, I love this article. It speaks directly to my pre-existing uh, opinion, of course. So, of course, I love the article. Never forget, you love something. Make sure you you know you know why you love it. I love it because it it reinforces my belief system. I think that I I, I think that this I think that the studios thought things were getting back to normal, and they were really trying to rush it back to the way things were. And I think they still will try to do that after these date release pushes. Um, but the thing is, they got to figure out the money. Okay. That they're going to have to figure that out. I don't, that, that's above my pay grade. And even if it was at my pay grade, it'd still be difficult to figure out. You know, they, they need to figure out, um, how, how they're going to get films made and, um, how they're going to measure the success of those films without solely the gigantic box office hall and whether they just tweak the window change it from 90 days to 45 days you know change it to 30 days you know vary it for tent poles do it for 45 for independent films do it for do it for 21 days i mean create some urgency um you know put it on your streaming service for a premium price you know but the fact is pandemic or not people don't like going to the movies as much as they used to. It's not a thing anymore as much as it used to be. And, and I say this with a co-host of this show who 
has opposite preferences to, uh, that I do in terms of where to watch a movie. But we empathize, we, 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 we can see each other's point of view. I get it. But for me, and for you know a lot of people in my position, the more you can give me that stuff access at home, the more A, I'll really decide whether or not I want to see it. I know that's not good for the studio for me to start you know picking and choosing, but that's the thing. I don't care what's good for them. I care what's good for me. They can worry about them. That's what they are. That's what they're going to do, in case you haven't noticed. They're going to worry about them. They don't care about you. The critics, yes, they don't care if the critics are risking exposing themselves to COVID. That critic has to cover this movie or they won't have a job eventually. And as far as critically, you know, I, I, I definitely think that tracks. I think that seeing a movie at home versus seeing it in the theaters has zero impact on someone's critical consensus on a film. And honestly, if it had any impact at all, then that had to change, period. I've said this before that I, I, I really caution people, be careful about decisions or conclusions you make that are made in the height of emotion. Or the height of, of a dopamine release. Okay. When you are in a theater, enjoying a theater experience, you hear the audience cheer, you know, you, you, okay, I'll, I'll go backwards and say this. Nothing's more disappointing to me in, in the past. This doesn't happen anymore, obviously, than going to a movie, seeing it, loving it, buying it on Blu ray when it came out, watching it again and going, wow, I don't like this nearly as much as I, thought I did is I remember it. And the reason I loved it so much when it came out and feel so mad about it when I have it in my hands isn't because, oh, well, it is because it's not the theater anymore, but that's because the novelty is worn off and there's no crowd influencing my, my feelings about the movie, cheering when something cool happens, gasping when there's something. <gasps> I think the same thing that people get, I think there's a fundamental split. I think it is true. You get a communal experience out of watching something with a group of strangers and all coming to this through this story together, experiencing the highs and lows of the story, experiencing the character struggles, their triumphs, going through it together, feeling that energy or whatever people think about seeing a movie in the theater, feeling the energy. And coming out and going, wow, we all shared that together. I get zero out of that experience. I don't give a shit what you felt. I don't care if you liked it. I just want you to be quiet while you, if you don't like it, all right, keep it to yourself. I'm trying to watch. And most people can't keep quiet, which is why I don't like going to theaters. For me, I watch a movie because I want to watch something that I want to watch again, or I want to watch something that's going to have an effect on me on its own merits. If a film does not have an effect on me, Outside of it's big and loud and new and strangers are watching it with me, it's not worth it. And I I get more confident in my ability to judge quality in films the more I see them away from theaters. Because I know if I like this movie, if I think it's great, watching it on my computer or, or my TV, but if I watch it, you know, with a decent sized screen, even on my phone though... The film, if the film is good at home, it's good anywhere. And that's how I felt about it for years. And that's what I resent about all these conversations about the theatrical experience. 
fine. It's my opinion against theirs. But <laughs> whatever, different strokes. But I think that the industry is desperately wanting people to value the theatrical experience. And I think for years, they've been staring the truth in the face that people statistically just don't. So food for thought. All right. Speaking of streaming, let's talk about some streaming recommendations. So this is September. I'm doing these through September 2nd through the 15th because I did the two weeks prior to this. So uh, available on Netflix on September 9th that I would, again, these are things I would recommend personally or I would think about checking out. So on Netflix, we've got Blood Brothers, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. It's a documentary. I've not seen it, obviously. Um, nor am I that interested, to be honest, but I recently saw Ali, which deals a little bit with um, Muhammad Ali and his relationship with Malcolm X. So I would think and I would hope that a documentary would do more justice to that relationship than 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 that film did. Um, so if you are interested in that subject and, um, you know, there's Netflix makes some pretty solid documentaries, you should check it out. Also, the day after that, September 10th, we got the final season of Lucifer. Somebody should tell my wife. Um, for that show and uh september 15th they're actually dropping seasons one through nine of saved by the bell so if you're feeling nostalgic you want to watch something uh something like saved by the bell there's a whole bunch of it on on netflix on september 15th uh moving to amazon prime uh so a couple things dropped on the first that i you know there's a whole slew of things that always come onto prime at the beginning of the month and so i there's a bunch of stuff i've seen that i would recommend seeing but we've got armageddon which i just love that's a guilty pleasure of mine armageddon's great jennifer's body is on there i have not watched this yet but i plan to and it's not because megan fox is in it and she's like she's topless in the lake or whatever it's because i saw a video by chris stuckman about essentially how misunderstood that film is how mismarketed it was how intelligent it is and how good megan fox is in it and how it was unfairly judged and maligned and assumed and forgotten about. So I want to check out Jennifer's body and see what I think of it uh, for sure. Hulu. So what dropped on the first couple more movies to recommend, obviously, if you've never seen office space from 1999, you should check it out. That's on Hulu. Currently. I love office space. I've, I watched it dozens of times. So if you were in the mood to watch the off uh, to watch office space or you've never watched it, it's on Hulu in case you were wondering. Give it another watch and enjoy yourself. Also, uh, The Mexican is on Hulu. This I'm mentioning this because this is one of the films I'm probably going to end up seeing for my 2001 series. Uh, so that's more of a note for myself that The Mexican is now on Hulu. On Disney Plus, we've got a bunch of, you know, there's always going to be new episodes of What If, new episodes of Turner and Hooch. But on the 15th of September, we've got season four of The Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. I'm not saying that ironically. I genuinely think that's a good show. My kids love it and I, I've been watching it and um, I think it's pretty solid. So if your kids have never watched that show, you know, you've got school age kids into superheroes. It's pretty cool. I like Ladybug and Cat Noir a lot. Or Miraculous, sorry. On HBO Max, um, Vanilla Sky is now on HBO Max, um, the Cameron Crowe film from 2001 with Tom Cruise. Uh, so I'm going to check that out when I have the service back in October for Dune, if it doesn't get pushed back. And on September 12th, we have the premiere of a limited series on HBO called Scenes from a Marriage, starring Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. So I always like some good drama, good good family, good marriage drama stuff. So I like limited series as well. 
there's a tension to them knowing how limited they are. So I'm pretty excited to watch that as well. So that that's all my recommendations for streaming. Last little story here. This is a long episode. Um, we've got this article on Deadline um, by David Robb. It's a top cinematographers call on producers to address brutally long workdays and contract talks with Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Um, okay, 14 of Hollywood's top cinematographers, including Oscar winners John Toll, Roger Deakins, Emmanuel Lubezki, and Eric Messerschmidt, have signed a letter urging the member companies of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers to finally address the hazards of unsafe working hours that have been common in the film and TV industry for decades. Their letter, which was signed by John Lindley, the president of the International Cinematographers Guild, Yahtzee, Local 600, says the time to create meaningful change is now. So um, the letter sorry, the letter obtained by deadline and penned before um, the resumption of contract negotiations between IATSE and AMPTP notes that drowsy driving after workdays that can last 14 hours or more have contributed to numerous auto accidents over the years, including one that occurred just before the contract talks began in May. So there is this video that they um, put together. I'll, I'll play a clip from that in a second. But they said, um, so the letter says, quote, we are local 600 directors of photography who are writing to express our ongoing concern about the hazards of unsafe working hours, a practice that continues despite all the medical and indisputable evidence of the harm caused by fatigue. Most notable are the numerous car accidents our colleagues have suffered in recent years, including the weekend before we enter these negotiations. This past year has shown that when employers and craftspeople work together to confront a worldwide safety threat, it is possible to both project, protect everyone on our sets and successfully complete the most ambitious projects. It is past time to use that same intelligence and resources now proven to be available to increase daily rest periods and implement weekend rest periods to ensure the physical and mental health of every member of the crew. The time to create meaningful change is now. So signed by a bunch of... Um, Directors of photography. Um, to that, okay. So it's a um, blah, blah, blah. um. All right. They add the last month during their contract negotiations. They said, "quote Reasonable rest demands that the employers not treat our members like machines that can just work until they are broken and then be replaced. Everyone needs and deserves a real and meaningful rest period between shifts to provide for a decent night's sleep." We know that long and irregular hours can come at a cost, contributing to unhealthy outcomes and higher health costs. So they are demanding a real and meaningful rest period between leaving and returning from work, regardless of the craft or production. A weekend rest period that allows for actual rest and time to spend with family and friends. Effective penalties that truly discourage the systematic elimination of meal breaks and working straight into the weekends. They say the science is clear, long and irregular hours without adequate breaks and rest are unsafe. The negative impact on health and well-being is well-documented and nobody should accept or defend 14-hour days without a break as an industry standard. So here's a little part of the video I wanted to play for you to see what you think about it. It was a Saturday night and I was driving home. On a Friday night, I was driving home from work. Maybe three or four miles south of our home. The stretch of highway that I was on, it's not a typical... Um, stretch in Boston where there's a lot of street lights and a lot of cars. I don't know exactly at what point I felt sleepy. And I guess he fell asleep at the wheel for just a split second. And another mile and a half later, 
my body shut down. The fatigue took over. I remember getting the exit from my house. There was no warning. There was no nodding off. After that, I can't remember much of anything. My body just shut down. And I crashed my SUV into a telephone pole. And we hit the median on the freeway and ricocheted back into lanes. I was asleep at the wheel, 55 miles an hour down Lynn Road and went into a tree. And I instantly woke up and I asked, what happened? You fall asleep? He said, yeah. I, yeah. As he's trying to right the car and not let it roll, he said, yeah, I fell asleep. I felt a big hit. I know I knew I hit something and I immediately knew I was into an accident. Before you knew it, I was standing outside of my truck looking looking at the dirt, wondering why I was standing in mud. I woke up in my in my driver's side seat and I got out of the car and I looked up and I actually crashed my car two blocks away from my house. I had no recollection of falling asleep or rear-ending the dump truck that was in the, in the breakdown lane. I knew I had hit somebody really hard and once I looked back, there was a car that was completely flipped. And there was damage to the vehicle, really couldn't be driven, but it could have been much worse. I just started running towards the corner to see if I could help, even though I was in physical pain. Fortunately, they pulled him out and he was walking. It could have been much, much worse. We're lucky that we that we're alive. When you start to look at stuff like that, so that's not hey, these people should have been more responsible, you know? You know, hey, focus, have some coffee. Uh-uh. Nope. See, another thing about the pandemic is that people Here's a cynical way to say it. Here, here's how here's how a villain would say it. People have realized they have rights now, but people have realized that life is short and that certain conditions they were working under to begin with were bullshit. And as I said earlier about how the movie industry needs to rethink its revenue model because of the hybrid release, you need to really overhaul the way you're asking people to work. No job is worth your health or your life like that. Seriously. And and when people uh, are getting in car accidents or they're just worn out from their jobs, I'm hell, I'm worn out. But I work multiple jobs. These people work one job. I'm sure they're well paid. And but for God's sake, they might not be. It doesn't matter. Again, it's not about money. It's about why are we allowing human beings to exist this way? We're making art. We want everyone to do their best work. Is a 14-hour scheduled day their best work? 16 hours? Yeah, I know it's more expensive to get the actors for for more days because it, you know, if if everyone wants to work a shorter work day, but I mean, do something. There are solutions. And yes, at least in the beginning it's going to result in more money being spent, which might increase your urgency to release a film in theaters to maximize your profit. Come up with a different revenue stream for your films. It's an industry full of really smart people. And I think that just in the last couple of decades or, or, or more, the people who are running things in the movie industry have just gotten greedy and lazy. I don't think that these problems are out of the reach of the best minds in Hollywood. I think that it won't make them as much money in the short term. And that's what everyone's afraid of because the business model has turned into making as much money in the short term as possible. That has to stop. People aren't going to stand for it. And it was a couple of years ago that Mariel Heller, the director, was talking about 
wanting to try and get it to where you know crew like you know the, the, to get it to where the movie sets were more inclusive to people to to parents to people with families we want people to be able to go home and put their kids to bed at night have dinner with their spouses you know have time to pay their bills and do normal shit you know you can't just have young childless people coming into this industry and then either put off having a family because of because they feel like they're it's not conducive to their work or have a family and overburden their spouse so that that person can go fly to Europe and do all this shit, you know, work 14 hour days, even in the city they live in, even if they live in the city where the film is being shot to work 16 hour days, you're not, you're, yeah, you come home. And if you somehow drive home safe and you make it home, you're still not a person at that point. You're just a shell of a human being. And I know what I'm talking about. Cause that's what I am right now. I'm a shell of myself. I hate it. It's the number one worst thing about my life is that I am barely present because I am so fucking tired. But it's not forever for me. Knock on wood. For some of these people, this is their careers. This is all they have to look forward to. If you are a crewman on a set, DP, hardest working people on sets or director of photography. I mean, what are they supposed to do? If Roger Deakin still has to work a 14-hour day, I mean, what the hell? That's a film news dump this week. I had a bunch of stuff to say. Fired up. And I want better. And a lot of people in the industry want better. I, as a consumer, want better. I, as as someone who's worked on film sets, I want better for those people. As a parent, I want better options for me, whether it's working or consuming. I want better options. We can do better options. We are smart enough to do better options. Let's just fucking forget about the money. All right. Let's stop whining about what it's going to take to overhaul the system. Fucking let's, let's figure it out. We can figure it out. All right. I've got this parent teacher meeting I got to go to. So I'm going to go. Okay. Next episode. You're going to love it. I promise. It's going to be great. That's it for the film news dump. Be good to yourselves. Uh, be safe. Be, uh, be smart. Be considerate. Be compassionate. And Watch some good films, especially the ones we recommend on this show, because we super mean it. When we tell you a movie is great, we mean it. There's a lot of movies that we watched that we were like, hey, it's, it's okay. You might still love those movies. But if I tell you a film is good, if, if I tell you a film is great, I really mean it. And I hope that means something to you. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.